Hey, it's Erin. Thanks for checking out our podcast today. We know that it will be helpful and inspiring to you. Before we get into the message, go ahead and check us out on Instagram at Second Students West. There you can find all the information about what we are doing in our ministry. Go ahead and take some time to remove all the distractions, silence your phone so that you can focus on what God wants to say to you today. We hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Uh, have y'all had a good week so far? No, no response. I got a, I got a, a half-hearted. Yeah, yeah. I guess I had a good week. Well, Sunday is the start of a new week, so I hope that this week goes wonderfully for you. If you need pins, uh, we have some more pins. So just raise your hand, and pins are going around the room. But uh, if you do not know who I am, my name is Karsten. I am the summer uh, intern here for for y'all for the youth and. Um, uh, if you haven't met me or haven't gotten to talk to me, come up, uh, come up to me. I've gotten to meet a lot of y'all, but not all of y'all. There's there's a ton of you, so um, I'd love to meet you. Love to get to know you, and so uh, yeah. So today we're continuing our series, Better Together, which is our series through First Peter. So uh, we've gone First Peter chapter one, chapter two. Last week was chapter three, and this week we're jumping into chapter four. And so. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 1 through 11, and uh, we're just going to dive in and see what the Lord has for us this morning. But before, uh, before we get going, I'm going to pray for us again, and then we'll hop into it. Uh, dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, this wonderful time to be able to dig into your word and see what it has in store for us. God, I pray that as I'm up here uh, talking, that it will not be my words, but you speaking through me. Help me to just be a vessel. Uh, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, let's open up our Bibles if you got it, and let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. And again, we're reading verses 1 through 11. So, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of, ver- of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So that was a big, big chunk of passage. There's a big chunk of scripture. So we're going to look at it. We're going to break it down. And we're going to see just how we can take this and apply it to our hearts. So I'm going to turn our attention 
all the way back to the beginning and look at verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. So, if you have your new notebook and your new pen, I want you to open it up, and I have my very first point for y'all. Our first point is Christ suffered to destroy our sin. Uh, For y'all in the back, it's up here on the left. For y'all in the front, it's right up here. Christ suffered to destroy our sin. So, what do we we see this in right right there in the very first four words of this chapter? Therefore, since Christ suffered, so Christ suffered. He suffered in the flesh. What is that? Well. That's making note of the fact that Christ came to this earth, lived the perfect life, and suffered and died a death that you and I deserve. He went and he was tried in front of of Pilate, and uh, they took him and they uh, condemned him to, to die. And they beat him and mocked him and scorned him. And he was put on a cross, and he suffered on that cross, and he died to destroy our sin that we have in our hearts and in our lives. And so... As Christians, we must arm ourselves, is what it says, with that understanding. Because when we share in the suffering with Christ, we are finished with sin. That's what the verse is saying. This verse is not saying when we suffer, this is how our sin is is getting, is gotten rid of. It's not that, you know, if I go through a trial, my sin's just going to disappear. It is that when we come into faith in Jesus Christ... We're able to overcome the power of sin. When we understand the power of Christ's suffering and his death and his resurrection, it should lead us into action. It should lead us into a new and conformed life that looks not like our own hearts and our own desires, but looks like God's will. We should conform our hearts to what he has done for us. So, we are... We have that understanding. We are arming ourselves with that understanding. We are keeping uh, the fact that Christ lived a perfect life and suffered and died on a cross for our sins. We're keeping that at the forefront of our minds and at our hearts. And that should mold the way that we live and the way that we act in our day-to-day life. Because when we have that understanding that, you know, of what Christ did for us, it's, it's a powerful action it's a power, the actions that Christ took are powerful, which should lead us into like action. So, quickly, we move into verse 2, and we get our second point. So, Christ suffered to destroy our sin. What does that mean for us? It means that we must live for God's will, not our own desires. Again, it's on the screen for you. We must live for God's will, not our own desires. All right, so, like I said, when we consider what Christ has done for us, we must put away our desires and live out the way that God wants us to in and through our lives. When we get to verse 2, I love the phrase, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh. When you think about time and you think about us being here in this world We don't really actually have that much time. If you, I don't know if I've explained this illustration before, but if you had a rope that spanned from this left wall over here all the way to this right wall, and it was represented, it was representing all of time across, you know, our entire universe. 
and all time ever. And you wanted to go and you wanted to find the time period that we are living in specifically. And it was marked by a little red thread. That itty bitty tiny thread that was so small and so minute on this entire span of rope that would cast from wall to wall. That little tiny speck of red, that would be the only indication of our life here on earth. That would be the only time that we would have in relation to all of time ever. We don't have that much time here. So what are we going to do about it? We're here to make our time on earth as impactful as it can for Christ because our life is only a short speck. And so we have to ask ourselves, what's sitting on the throne of our hearts? Are we living for God's will or are we living for our own personal desires? Because oftentimes we get to a place and the Lord reveals to us, hey, you've been living out your life with this thing on the throne of your heart. Maybe it'll be a sin that you've let on the throne of your heart. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe a relationship. Maybe a sport. It could be whatever. But oftentimes God opens up our eyes and he shows us that we must not live for our own desires, but rather his will. And when we live for our own desires, we're putting something else other than Christ onto the throne of our heart. So, what are you letting your life be defined by? Is it God's will or your own desires? Because when you live a life that is defined by God's will for you, your life is going to look drastically different than what the world has to offer. And so when we move past verse 2 and into verse 3, we see in verses 3 through 6, our next point, and we see the alternative to Christian living. We see the way the world works. And the point here is the world participates in sin and will come after you for not joining in. The world is full of sin. It is participating in it day in and day out. And as a Christian, when you stand against that, when you stand against the, the ever-churning workings of the world, and you stand for Christ, they're going to notice that. And they will come after you, and they will want to know, why are you living in this way? They might even come after you and disagree with you and slander you. That's what we see uh, in this passage of 3 through 6. So let's jump into it, and we see in verse 3 that I think it's so cool that it's stated, for there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do. There's already been enough time in sin. There's already enough worldly uh, action going on in and throughout day-to-day -day life. There's already enough sin to go around. So we should be different. We should be set apart from the sin that is going on day in and day out in our world. Because when we read the list of sins in verse 3, None of those actions have any sort of redeeming qualities. None of those actions result in anything positive. They're all self-serving, and they're all opposite of how God wants us to live and interact in our day-to-day -day life. And so we see in verse 4, because of this, the world is going to be surprised when they see someone who's living an alternative version of their life compared to the world. They're living set apart from those things. And when they see that, it says, and they slander you. They'll come after you. And so I was thinking of a way to, um, you know, to flush this out. 
and I immediately thought of Tim Tebow. Y'all might not know who Tim Tebow is. He is a quarterback, or he was a quarterback that was, um, he played at the University of Florida, and excuse me, he was a just a rock-solid Christian guy, and in everything he did, he strived to honor Christ. He won the Heisman Trophy. He was extremely popular. Everyone knew who he was, and then he went to the NFL, and he stuck to his Christian values. He stuck to um, his beliefs, and he stuck to praying before every game. And, and in his actions, the media, uh, newspapers, articles are written about him, and they're coming after him saying, why is he doing this? Why is he praying before games? Why? I think it's goofy that he, he carries himself in this sort of way. I think it's goofy that he doesn't uh, involve himself with other sort of things that his teammates may do. But Tim Tebow stood there and said, I'm a Christian. This is how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to take this stance on these things because of my faith, because I am a follower of Jesus. And he let that be the pinnacle of his life. He let that be the thing that everyone knew him by. He didn't want everybody to know him for his football career. He didn't want everyone to know him because of his accolades. He wanted everyone to know that Tim Tebow was a Christian first and foremost. And still, even though he was standing up for Christ, the world came after him, and the media came after him, and people came after him, and they slandered him for his beliefs. Now, are we going to be treated like Tim Tebow every day in our life? Are we going to have articles written about us for being Christians and standing against the culture? No, we're not for the most part. None of us are going to have that happen to us. But what you may find practically is a person or two in your day-to-day walk, a person in one of your classes coming to you and saying, you know what? I think the way you're living is not as cool as you think it is, or I think the way that you're living is wrong, or I completely disagree with what you're doing, and here's a list of things that prove that Christianity is wrong. And there, it doesn't matter. People are going to come after you. You will, throughout this life, find at least somebody in the world that does not appreciate the way you are living your life, and they will slander you because they'll be surprised at the life you're living, because you're not joining in with the rest of the crowd. You're standing out. We are not called to conform to the world. We are called to conform to God's will. And so we see uh, in verse 5 that um, oftentimes when we're living this life and there's people that are slandering us or there's people that come after us, it's very easy. It's very easy to, to harden our hearts and to find ourselves thinking, man, I wish that these people who are coming after me and saying these mean things to me about my faith, I wish that they would just get what's coming for them. I wish that, you know, someone would pull them aside and they'd get, you know, told, no, you're living the wrong way or what you're doing is goofy because it's hard. And oftentimes, as I remember being in high school, being in junior high, it's easy to have those thoughts coming like, I wish that I could get back to those people for what they're saying to me because I don't like it. But we do not have to worry about that. We do not have to live our life in that way, thinking about how are we going to get back at all these people for what they're saying to us. Because ultimately, it says that they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. At the end of the day, every single person is going to have to stand face to face in front of God. And the Lord is going to look at them, and the Lord is going to look at people who have never come into relationship with them, who have slandered Christians, who have lived their life separated from him, living in the world, and he's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And he will enact ultimate justice on people who live their life 
outside of a relationship with God. But for the Christian, we have nothing to fear for. We have nothing to worry about because when we meet God face to face, he will look at us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what we have to look forward to. We are not the enactors of judgment. We cannot cast true justice on people, but rather that is God's job to do when he deals with people eternally. So, we have nothing to worry about. We have nothing to try to dish out and, or get back at the world, but rather we have to continue to love people. We have to continue to treat people the right way, and we have to continue to follow after God in all we do. And then we get to verse 6, and verse 6 is when you, when you first read it, it's kind of strange. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead. Well, there's, there's no one who's dead in here. I've never, you know, seen a dead person drive themselves and walk into a church building and sit down and listen to the gospel. Like, what is this talking about? What this is, what this is showing us is an example of, of Christians. These people who are now dead that they're talking about that, is, that are mentioned here in this verse, they're Christians who have, who have gone through life, who have gone through uh, understanding what man's judgment is like, who, who have gone through understanding the slander that is, being, uh, that is being cast upon Christians that is mentioned in verse 4. They've gone through it. They've walked through it themselves. Excuse me. And at the end of the day, at the end of their life, although they were judged here on earth in the flesh according to human standards, they are now living in the Spirit according to God's standards. Man's standards and God's standards are in, in the moment, while we're here, they can seem very much the same. But in reality, God's standards and God's judgment is so much higher than man's judgment. Because when we get to, when we stand face to face before God, nothing is going to compare to God's judgment. Nothing is going to compare to what God thinks about you and what God knows in your heart of hearts. So these people have come before us, and they know that there is judgment to be had here on earth. There is slander that may come your way from the world. But at the end of the day, when we have our faith and hope in God, we're going to see God face to face. We're going to be with him in heaven. And there is nothing greater. There is nothing in that short speck of time that we have here on this earth that is ever going to make that being in heaven with God not worth it. So we have hope in the gospel. We have hope in God because... At the end of our life, at the end of the day, we will be able to live in the Spirit according to God's standards in heaven. So, what now? Who are we going to live for, and how are we going to live? We see this in verse 7 through 11, when we get to our last point, that we must live set apart in this world. We are to live set apart in this world. So like I talked about earlier, we have to have Christ on the throne of our hearts and that will lead us to live life set apart in the world. And we see here uh, we have four charges that are easy and applicable that we can take and apply to our hearts and to our lives today, right now, right this second, exactly. And so um, we first, we, get into, we hop into verse 7, and it says that the end of all things is near. And pretty much all that is trying to say is... Life for Christians is not going to get any easier from this point moving forward. A day is not going to come where, you know, the world is going to accept us for who we are and just let us off the hook. 
The end of all things is coming, and that means that more suffering, more judgment, and more difficult hardships are coming our way. But that's okay, because not only do we have a relationship with God to keep us going in our day-to-day walk in life, but we have a body of believers around us to help and support us in our life. And so the first thing we see is, therefore be alert and sober-minded for prayer. We got to pray. We got to be serious and disciplined in our prayer. When we have an active, communicative relationship with God, where we are communicating with Him and we are talking with Him through prayer, that allows God to continue to sit on the throne of our hearts because we are in that communication with Him and we are talking with Him and we know what He has for us. We can know God's will when we speak with Him and we talk with Him. Prayer is how we communicate with God. So when we have consistent communication with Him, His will for us will be clear, and we will be able to follow it. Secondly, above all, maintain constant love for one another. we got to love each other. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to love one another. The love of Jesus Christ covers all of our sins. He loved us enough to come and die on the cross. If that act of love can cover a multitude of sins, then we ought to love one another just as he loved us. Because we are all on the same team, and love should be the attribute that us as Christians are showing off first and foremost. That's a wonderful way to separate ourselves from the world. Next is to be hospitable without complaining. When it, it's easy when we are in the world and we are facing hardships and trials that when we come into contact with other believers, it's easy to, you know, gripe and complain when we're going through a tough time. But as Christians, we should be hospitable to one another, understanding what each person is going through, being kind in different circumstances, being open and willing to talk to people, and just being just hospitable, being kind to one another. When we are kind to other Christians and we are hospitable and we are open, it allows us to flourish and grow as the body of Christ. And lastly, we are to serve others. Serve one another. Christ served us, so we ought to serve others others, putting others before ourselves, because that's exactly what Christ did for us. And so when we, when we live out these four, uh, these four charges, these four commands, what does it do? It allows God to be glorified through Jesus Christ. We see that in verse 11, where it says, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything, and everything. In everything we do, we are striving to put Christ on the forefront of our lives so that the dark and broken world can see who we live for and why we live out what we do. So, my final thing, when we live our life with Christ on the throne of our hearts, it allows us to be separated from this world so that we can endure the slander and the hardships that it throws at us. We can grow in our relationship with Christ and with our brothers and sisters in Christ so that the world can see who we are serving. 